0: Jesus, we, um, we pray that right now as uh, churches are in the Ukraine and in surrounding areas trying to f- figure out how to comfort and how to, how to, to live in this and, and how to provide hope, that I pray that they would point to your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they would be energized to, to rise to the occasion to love well and to make much of your son, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm praying for. And then, Lord, I'm asking that this would end. I'm asking that no more lives lost. I'm asking that um, the fear and the running and all the stuff that goes with it, this would stop. I'm not even really sure how to pray for that other than that you would do your thing, that you can do. Lord, thanks for being in control, that none of this takes you by surprise, that, that, that this is not something that's outside of your, your rule and reign, but it just makes me want to pray even more that you would return quickly and, and that the peace and the, the, the love and the grace and the mercy that we find in your son, we could find even more perfectly in your presence. That's what we ask today. Um, yeah. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name. Amen. Man, thank you, guys. You can be seated. Man, it's beautiful to hear you, you pray like that. It's hard to imagine I'm just sitting there that God's hearing all of that at once, right? It's amazing. Um, when I think about the, uh, the Ukraine this morning, and I'm thinking about the passage, and, and even over the last 24 to 48 hours, the way that I was seeing this passage, and the way that I was processing Ephesians 5, and, and to be really honest with you, over the last just 24 to 48 hours, for me to think, I wonder if there is a pastor there who might be using these words as an encouragement. I wonder if there's a church there that that is saying, hey, in the middle of all of this, that we can sing and we can worship and we can make much of Jesus Christ. And, and as I'm thinking about it, I, I think these, these words would be incredibly appropriate. I, I want to read them to you, Ephesians 5. We'll be starting in in verse 15. I'm just gonna read this whole section to you as you think through what would be encouraging in the middle of all of this mess. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. I mean, they're seeing that straight up, right? It is here in their face And to say, man, the days are evil. We must make the most of our time. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. I I wonder if there's this piece of them that says, Lord, we need you. We need your Spirit. We need your presence. We need you. And then he says this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in fear, in the fear of Christ. Can I just ask you, like when you worship in that, in the ditch, when you worship in that dark spot, isn't it just a little sweeter? I mean, I think of Acts 16 and Paul and Silas in a Philippian prison with their, their, their legs bound by chains, the text says, and in the middle of the night it says they are praying and they are singing. That's good, isn't it? I just wonder right now, just right now, if there's some of that going on. And it's, you'd have to imagine it's pretty sweet, don't you think? Just trusting in Jesus Christ. As I, as I read that, I, I'm, I, I sit back and I wonder in 1920 and 21, how much do we just take for granted that once a week we get to walk in here and have an amazing team lead us? Have an amazing team sing these songs and the words are on the screen and it's just easy to come in and and we even got lights to go with it and I mean trying to create them, the mood and here it is I guarantee you they are some singing happening halfway across the globe right now with not half the stuff we got going on and it is sweet right I think a lot of that is the reason is is an amazing thing that happens when a sense of urgency is created in us When there's this sense of urgency that's created in us that makes us and forces us and shakes us to say, man, I have got to trust in Jesus Christ. I have got to follow him. I have got to sing to him. I need him. And for us over here, who are just seeing this through headlines and clips, for us... Paul is still saying we need a desperate sense of urgency. Let me, let me read 15 and 16 to you, just, to, just for you to be clear. This is what Paul's asking for. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Careful attention. Careful. I need you to pay attention here. I need you to be, I need you to be completely aware of what's happening. And he says, making the most of your time. Make the most of it. That is a sense of urgency. We have got this opportunity in front of us, and we must capture it. We've got to redeem this. We've got to make the most of it. Let me talk about that word time just for a second. Two words in your your New Testament are used for time. The one is chronos, which we get for chronological It's the idea like it's on my my watch here or January, February, March chronological time. That's not the word here. The word here is the word kairos, which is the idea of opportunity or moment. Matter of fact, if you're reading the NIV, you'll see there it doesn't put the word time. It puts the word opportunity there. That there is this amazing opportunity that we must make the most of. I actually think that Paul is is not just using that word on, on accident just to talk about opportunity or moment. But remember, this is a letter to the Ephesians. They are under Roman rule. It would have tremendous amount of Greek influence. And because of that, there would be the worship of all kinds of gods. And there would be the Greek gods that would be a part of it. There's a Greek god of opportunity, and his name is Kairos or Kairos. That's the Greek God. He's the Greek God that has wings. Matter of fact, he's got wings on his feet. He is one that is quick and swift. He's constantly moving. He weighs, he's got scales and a razor in his hand. But probably the craziest thing about Charis is his hairdo. Let me show you a picture of him. That's a reverse mullet. Right? That's a reverse mullet. I mean, you're looking at that, and, and um, is that a frullet? Is that what you call that? You know, like, I, I don't know what you do with it, but that is keris. And here's the reason why his hair is in the front, because this is what they say about opportunity. When he's coming, you can only grab him when it's coming at you, but once he's passed, what do you see? A bald head. The opportunity's gone once he passes. He's swift, he's quick, and when he's coming at you, you better be ready to grab his hair so that you can seize the moment, so that you can seize the opportunity. But once he's gone, it's a slick bald head and there's nothing else you can do about it. You've got a few of those, don't you? We all have those times in our life. We look at it and say, if I'd have just reached out and grabbed it, I could have seized the moment. And probably a lot of us are saying, gosh, I regret not doing that. I regret not fill in the blank, seizing the moment, making most of the opportunity. And so when we think about this, there's a sense of urgency, even with this guy here, that as he's coming, I got to reach out and I got to grab this because once it's gone, it's gone. It doesn't mean you won't get another shot at other moments or opportunities, but, but that's a done deal. So let's talk about sense of urgency. As we walk through our passage today, I want to define it for you. I want to make sure we're clear on what this sense of urgency is. The first thing is, is I want to tell you what it's not. Sense of urgency is not busyness. Sense of urgency is not busyness. So for those of you that sit back and think, boy, I got a sense of urgency because I am always busy. Matter of fact, my bet is if I said, hey, how many of you would like a few more hours in the day to get all the things that you've got to get done, done, you would all raise your hand. Am I right? Because we're busy, but that doesn't mean we have a sense of urgency. It just means we're busy. It means we got to be at a meeting here and a kid drop off here and a practice here and a dinner now. And all of that is great and well and good. But don't confuse busyness with a sense of urgency. That's just busyness. The other thing we have to understand about busyness is some of that stuff is important. But how much of it really is urgent? How much of our business is urgent business? Well, we treat it like it's urgent business, don't we? I mean, we treat it like I got to be there first in line at the pickup line, right? I do not want to be late. I mean, this is urgent matters we have here, or is it? But sometimes what happens for us is we just think our busyness makes us, or think we have some sense of urgency when we don't. Another thing that a sense of urgency is not, it's not panic, it's not anxiety. I don't think Paul is asking for us to panic. I don't think he's calling us to be anxious about something. And, and now we start to, to, to have some sort of physical response to it where I can't sleep and I'm biting my nails and I'm, I'm sweating. I don't think that's what Paul is counting on here or what he's asking for. A sense of urgency is not busyness. It's not panic. Matter of fact, one business leader says this about sense, sense of urgency. He says, a sense of urgency is the ability to, to do a lot in a small window of time, in a calm and collected manner. That's pretty good, isn't it? The ability to do a lot in a short amount of time in a calm and collected manner. That's what made great leaders, isn't it? I, gotta, I only have a little bit of window and I got to get a lot accomplished and we're going to do it calm and collectedly. When I think of that, I think of Jesus Christ. He only had three years, three years. He did a lot in three years. Am I right? And he did it pretty calm and collected. Now I know he did the toll table thing and he got mad at the Pharisees, but let's not act like that wasn't calculated, right? Cool, calm, collected. So we're not talking about panic. We're not talking about busyness. When I think of a sense of urgency, I'm gonna give you my definition. You ready? If you wanna write it down, great. I kinda of hodgepodged a few of them together. This is what I think a sense of urgency is. It's an awareness of opportunities that require my prompt and decisive action. It's an awareness of opportunities that require I must act promptly and decisively. Awareness of opportunities, I gotta act promptly and decisively. Let me give you a few biblical examples. Some of our heroes of the Bible, think of Esther. Esther's one of our favorite heroes, right? Esther's one of those that had an amazing opportunity And she was aware of it. She was made aware of it by her uncle Mordecai who said, hey, the dude's fixing to kill all the Jews. And you are here for such a time as this. Opportunity. Moment. And she acts promptly and decisively and goes before the king, risking life to say, hey, this can't happen. Saving the Jews. Awareness of an opportunity, required action, and she acted promptly And decisive. Let me give you another one. David, before he was king, he's shuffling food back and forth to his brothers who were on the battlefield. He gets there, and there's this big hairy Philistine named Goliath who's mocking God. Who's who's saying, I'm here, bring out your best, and no one will go. Except who? David, who recognizes I'm aware of the opportunity, the opportunity to make. Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, look amazing right now. And it requires action. Picks up five smooth stones. Stands there, acts promptly and decisively. Sense of urgency. Again, Jesus Christ did this amazing. I mean, you talk about a guy with awareness. I get it. He's 100% God. So he's got a little bit of an edge on us on that. But he could look at a crowd and say, they're hungry. He's aware. He's aware. And then he would see this opportunity with five loaves and two fish, bless it, and boom, all you know, I, I, what do you know, 5,000 people get fed. He acts promptly and decisively. When it's time to heal, when it's time to, to teach, when it's time to rebuke, he does it. He's, he's living his life with this sense of urgency. Paul, and the list goes on, I could give you tons of other examples. For us, the question is, do we live like that? Do we live with a keen awareness of opportunities that require me, you, not the church, not your friend, not your small group leader, not the pastor, but for you to act promptly and decisively? Do you live like that? Do we have that sense of urgency? Why do we have to have it? Why? Well, when I'm looking at the text, he makes it really clear. Verse 16, we make the most of our time because the days are evil. The days are evil. I've already said it. If we were were halfway around the globe right now, evil would be staring us in the face, wouldn't it? Can we just have some real talk this morning? How evil is tomorrow going to be for you? Like, for real. Like, I, I nearly bypassed that because we just kind of say it all the time. But really, how, how evil is Monday going to be for the Johnsons? If I'm honest, it's probably going to be pretty harmless. Oh, I mean, my wife's going to be disappointed that Walmart put a substitution on her list that she didn't really want, Right? I mean, I, I might be frustrated that it took me five shots at the Wordle instead of three or four. Like I, I might get a little frustrated over some things, but if we're really honest, I think the main reason we don't live with a sense of urgency is because most of the time we live in a day that's just, if we're just looking at it physically, is just pretty harmless. Just harmless. There's some frustrations, there's some inconveniences, How evil is it? I think you could actually preach Ephesians from front to back, and we're going to end with the armor of God, which is very intriguing, because he makes it clear over and over and over again that the times are dark. That there is this ruler of the prince of the power of the age that there is this battle w- waging right now that, that is not one we can see, that there really is an enemy that is seeking to kill and to st- steal and destroy. Like he wants to do that. And for most of us, man, we're just, we're living here and not seeing, feeling, sensing any of that. Can we be honest and say that? Is that true for us? It's not, it's not real evil. Um, here's the problem with that. And I think the enemy loves it when we don't see things very, very harmful or very evil or dark, because if there is no evil, there is no urgency. If there's nothing wrong, there's no need for you to act. If there's nothing bad happening, then there's no need for us to really respond to anything. And that takes all the good out of the good news when the devil's not that bad and he's pretty harmless and I don't really sense it and it can't be that bad where I'm at on 140 Whisperwood, right? It's just my neighborhood. But the reality is, is that it's, it's evil out there. And we have got to have a sense of urgency because it is that. Let me, let me be clear today, right? There is... No good news if there's not a devil in Satan. Like there's no Darth. There's no need for Luke Skywalker if there's not Darth Vader. There's no need for Aslan if there's not the 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 witch. Right? There's no need for any of these good people to rise up in your favorite book or your favorite movie if there isn't something bad. There is no need for Jesus Christ to come to this planet to live a perfect life, to do miracles, to teach, to be mocked, to be rejected, to be spat upon, to be beaten within an inch of his life, to have his blood spilt. There's no need for him to carry that terrible instrument of death through the city while everybody laughs. There's no reason for people to gamble over his clothes or to be stabbed or any of, there's no reason for him to die, to be buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later come back to life if death and sin isn't really that bad. I mean, I would say the days are evil because the response of Jesus Christ was massive wasn't it yeah. sense of urgency the days are evil not only that he tells us another reason why look at verse 17 so or therefore don't be foolish but understand what the lord's will is so i'm supposed to have this sense of urgency and to make the most of my opportunities that that i am able to to promptly and decisively act upon because the days are evil, but also because I need to know what the Lord's will is. I need to understand. I need to have my mind wrapped around what the Lord's will is. Again, this is another one of those things I kind of wonder, do you know what the Lord's will is? What's the Lord's will? That's some of that stuff we throw around at church and it sounds good, doesn't it? Well, I want to know what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? Because here in this passage, your sense of urgency is based on the fact that you would understand what the Lord's will is for you. Now, I'm I'm just going to remind us because I think we already know the answer. I just want to remind us today. This is the Lord's will for you. From the very beginning, God made it clear. He wanted people who would follow him be allegiant to him, be loyal to him, be faithful to him, to declare his glory and his goodness and his grace and his fame and his mercy to every person on the planet. That has been his will for his image bearers since Genesis chapter one. Fill the earth. Sin enters in so now our job gets harder. And Israel didn't do a great job at it because they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests that declared the glory and the grace and the mercy and the fame and the amazing greatness of God. And they failed. And so God says, let's do it through Jesus. And this organization called the church and this organization called the church is called to do this one thing. To make famous God's glory and grace and mercy. If you're wondering what God's will is for you, I I may not be able to talk to you about a job you're supposed to take or the home you're supposed to buy, but I can tell you very generally here. Are you ready? You're supposed to tell other people about Him. Jesus' words You are salt and you are light. That's the Lord's will. You are to be a neighbor, a good one. That's the Lord's will for you. You are to go and teach others all that I've commanded you. That's the Lord's will for you. You are to make disciples of all nations. That's the Lord's will for you. You are to be his witnesses. That's the Lord's will for you. I just want to tell you why that creates a sense of urgency. Can you imagine that the God of the universe has entrusted you with that task? Can you imagine that the God of the universe has entrusted you with the task of telling others about how great he is? I don't know about you, but that that is a massive responsibility that gives me a great sense of urgency. I I saw something reading through the Bible. I'm reading through uh, the Bible recap, a buddy of mine. Put me onto that. So I'm reading through it. I'm in the Old Testament right now. I just got through with with Leviticus. I'm in Numbers. Whew, it's a rough reading, right? I got to Exodus and I'm reading Exodus again and I'm, I'm just letting it, you know, you're just reading over it and there's a guy in there that I had never really paid attention to before. He's the guy that is called to make the Ark of the Covenant and the altar. He's the guy that's called to make all the furniture. Bezalel is his name. I'm sitting back and I'm reading that and I'm like, can you imagine God saying, hey, I need you to build the Ark of the Covenant where my presence is going to come and that's where I'm going to reveal myself to the nation of Israel. Would that not be a massive responsibility? I mean, like, I'm a measure twice, cut once kind of a guy. That's like a measure 83 times kind of a deal, isn't it? I'm looking at that, and there's another guy who's supposed to do all the the fine linen, and I'm like, how do you have that responsibility? And I'm overwhelmed by that, and then it just hits me like, Russell, if you think building the Ark of the Covenant is hard, you got to tell people about Jesus Christ. You got to tell people that he has come and he has died and that he loves you. And if we think that's easy, we'd be doing it every day. Am I right? What a tremendous responsibility. And so, for us to have this sense of urgency, this awareness of opportunities that require me to act decisively, I got to know the times are evil. And you got to know what the Lord's will is. What's the Lord's will? And all that sounds good until most of you, I hope, are asking this. How? How? How do I have an awareness? How do I make the most of my opportunities? How do I act? This is, this is big. This is hard. I don't have the right words. I can't muster up the emotion. I, I don't know how to have that conversation. How? And look at what he says next. Verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine. That's always a great start right there, right? And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But here it is. But be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the drunk with wine part because if you read all of Ephesians 5, Paul is throwing out metaphors left and right. Light and dark, walking. Death and alive, sleep and awake. I mean, he is throwing them out. And now all of a sudden he gives you another one. Don't be filled with wine. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure there's a lot we could talk about that. I really just want to focus on this filled with the Holy Spirit piece. Again, can we just be honest? It's like saying the Lord's will. All the days are evil. Let's be filled with the Spirit. What in the world does that mean? It's like this ease, we just kind of shoot out there like it's going to do something, right? What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? Just for a minute, how would you answer it? How would we talk about this? What is the language we would use around this idea that I want the Holy Spirit to fill me? When I'm looking at this passage, especially when I'm, I'm looking at the, the, the drunk with wine and filled with the Holy Spirit, I think there's probably a couple of things going on. I already told you about one Greek god, Keris. I, I think there's another one here that they would have worshipped. Uh, sh- this, this Greek god was the god of wine, and they had all kinds of drunken orgies. And so that might be some of the things the readers are thinking. And I also think when Paul uses this language when he talks about filled with the Holy Spirit, I think he's bringing these together because there's only one other time in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is mentioned with wine and drunkenness. You remember where that is? Acts chapter 2. It's kind of a crazy story. Matter of fact, there's a few chapters in your Bible you kind of want to know. Acts chapter 2 is one of them. Because Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit is given to us. Here's how the story goes. Jesus ascends and he says, hey, fellas, I want you to pray and wait until the Holy Spirit shows up. Holy Spirit shows up, you're going to go to work. They go pray, they wait, Holy Spirit shows up. It says in Acts, there was a wind and flaming tongues of fire landed on their heads, the disciples' heads. And they start teaching. And they start teaching to all of Jerusalem and they all start speaking languages they don't know because they're telling everybody about Jesus Christ. So one of them is speaking in this language, another one is speaking in this language, so that everyone would hear about Jesus Christ. Let me, let me read it specifically to you in Acts chapter 2. He says, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying and tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And then it says this, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. You say, well, Russell, where's the drunken part down there at the bottom? what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. Interesting, isn't it? I wonder if that's what Paul is wanting to draw your attention to, especially that word filled. That word filled is really important. Um, When I think about how I'm ever going to have a true sense of urgency to make the most of these opportunities and, and respond promptly and decisively. I think about the fact that I am empowered by the third member of the Godhead. We at Radius believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three are one. We worship a triune God. That's about all I got on that really. But We know that God has wanted to give his presence to us from the beginning. And unfortunately, in the first part of this deal, the presence of God was limited to a sacred place and to a certain people. They only could access the presence of God in a temple Maybe at the top of Mount Sinai when when Moses was given the law, there was this specific presence. And watch this. Every time God's presence showed up, typically what came with it was rushing wind, fire, smoke. Crazy, isn't it? Matter of fact, there are times like Isaiah 6 when when or Isaiah 1, when Isaiah seeing the glory of God, it says his glory filled the temple. Ezekiel 45 says the same thing. He's filled the temple. The presence of God filled the tabernacle over and over and over again. But here's the problem. It only filled a spot. And then there were a certain few, like the priests, the Levites. They could get near, but that's about it. Only a few people. Now, here's what's even crazier about the Spirit. The Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 2, but it actually is in the first pages of your Bible. Genesis 1, the Spirit hovered over the earth. And then we see the spirit empowers a guy like Joseph to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Remember that guy, Bezazel, says the spirit empowered him to build that furniture. The spirit is the one who gave the prophets the ability to see the world through God's eyes. It was the spirit who would fall on certain leaders here and there, but it wasn't. It wasn't corporate. And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 2 shows up. And guess what that tells us? That the presence of God is no longer confined to a building. It's no longer confined to a certain day once a year. It's no longer confined to the religious elite. I have no more access to the presence of God than you do. So here's how. How is this? is that we are filled with the presence of God. Now, Ephesians 1 says that we've already been sealed by the Spirit. So this is this weird deal. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit living within you. So you might say, why is he calling this to be filled? Why is he telling us to be filled? I think the word filled means this. To cooperate, to yield, and to be sensitive to, to cooperate, and to yield, and to be sensitive to it. That for me to be aware of opportunities, I got to be yielding, cooperating, and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If I am going to act promptly and decisively, I have got to cooperate, yield, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit within me. And the only way that I know how to do that is what the rest of this passage is. As I'm reading it, I think it actually should read this, this way. Verse 18, but be filled by the Spirit by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Do you see that up front? Speaking to one another. I know we always think that my songs are supposed to just go to God. Some of my favorite moments in worship are when I sit right here and I shut my mouth and you sing. And you're singing to me. Not like you're telling me those words but you're speaking those words of truth. I'm I'm sitting at Winter Jam Friday night, took my daughter there on a a daddy-daughter date, and we're getting after it. I couldn't understand half the words that were going on, right? It's loud. There's flames. I'm like, whoa. Like, we're getting it. Anybody remember that old Christian band, New Song? They still do this stuff, man. They still do it. it. Gives me hope one day, maybe 70 years old and still rocking it, right? And they're up there. No offense, Kenyon. I'm with you here. I got you. And so they start singing their classic from 20 years ago, Arise My Love. Anybody remember Arise, My Love? Oh, if you've been in a youth group 20 years ago, you probably did the play, right? They start singing that. And I'm just looking around at thousands of people, and I'm like, this is pretty cool pretty cool it's pretty cool when we come in here and sing to god and to one another it's pretty cool when we come in here and and we speak truth to one another it's pretty cool when we come in here and we get in group and we talk about god's word to one another because that is what allows us to be sensitive and yielding and cooperating with the Spirit because I'm more and more and more aware of Him. This is my best illustration for this, all right? And then I'm going to be done. I told you a few weeks ago, I got a new car, a Grand Marquis, a Mercury Grand Marquis. If you'd have told me that a month ago, I don't know if I could have identified one in the parking lot. But now that I have one, guess what I see everywhere I go? I thought it was here I am. I'm driving in a lap of luxury, right? And before you know it, there's a Grand Marquis. And not only that, the Ford platform made three of them on the same model, a Crown Vic, a Grand Marquis, and a Lincoln Town car. They're everywhere. Have you ever bought a car and found that to be true? You thought you were getting a unique color. And then every time you pull in somewhere, you see that exact same car, isn't it? (laughs) The reason I tell you that is this. That is the reason why this is so powerful. Reading your Bible is so important. Being in group is crucial. This is the reason why. Because as I talk about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it makes me more what? Aware of him. And I begin to see his work more than if I don't do this. I can cooperate. I can yield. And I can be sensitive. So for us today, um, I hope that as we think about moving out of here, I, I could not think of a more Radius-esque sermon for us because that's who we are. We come in here and we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we become filled and we, be, we challenge one another and we speak to one another and we remind ourselves of the sense of urgency and we leave out of there priest. We leave out of their temples. We leave out of here is this amazing opportunity to love our neighbors and be salt and light and to do all of that. And you don't need me to do it. We just do that where we are. So my question for us is, do you have that sense of urgency? If not, you might want to remind yourself that days are evil. And you might want to remind yourself what the Lord's will is. Let me pray for us.